Chapter 3 of Police Your Planet by Lester Del Rey This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 3 The Graft is Green Izzy seemed surprised when he found that Gordon was turning into the quasi-secret entrance to Mother Corey's. Coming here myself, he explained. Mother got a hold of a load of snow and sent me out to contact a big pusher. Coming back, the goons picked me up and gave me the job on you. Hey, Mother. Bruce Gordon didn't ask how Mother Corey had acquired the dope. When Earth had deported all addicts two decades before, it had practically begged for dope smuggling. The gross hawk of Mother Corey appeared almost at once. Izzy and Bruce didn't know you'd met, Cobbers. Contact Izzy? Ninety percent for uncut, Izzy answered. They went up to Gordon's hole in the wall with Mother Corey wheezing behind, while the rotten wood of the stairs groaned under his grotesque balk. At his questions, Gordon told the story tersely. Mother Corey nodded. Same old angles, eh? Get enough to do on the job? They mug you? Stop halfway, and the halls are close to you. Pretty soon they'll be trick-proof. Anyhow, they're changing over to electric eyes. Eh, you haven't forgot me, Cobber. Gordon hadn't. The old wreck had demanded five percent of his winnings for tipping him off. Mother Corey had too many cheap hoods among his friends to be fooled with. Gordon counted out the money reluctantly while Izzy explained that they were going to be cops. The old man shook his head, estimating what was left to Gordon. Enough to buy a corporal's job, pay for your suit, and maybe get by, he decided. Don't do it, Cobber. You're the wrong kind. You take what you're doing serious. When you set out to tinhorn a living, you're a crook. Get you in a cop's outfit, and you'll turn honest. No place here for an honest cop. Not with elections coming up, Cobber. Well, I guess you gotta find out for yourself. Want a good room? Gordon's lips twitched. Thanks, Mother. But I'll be staying inside the dome, I guess. So I, the old man gloated. Setting in a chair all day, being an honest citizen. Cobber, I already own a joint there. A nice one. They tell me... Lights, two water closets, big rooms, six by ten, fifty of them, big enough for whole families, and strictly on the level, copper. It's no hideout like this. He rolled the money in his greasy fingers. Now with what I get from the pusher, I can buy off that hot spot on the police blotter. I can go in the dome and walk around just like you, his eyes watered, and a tear went dripping down his nose. I'm getting old. They'll be calling me grandmother pretty soon. So I'm turning my chicken house over to my granddaughter, and I'm going honest. Want a room? Gordon grinned and nodded. Mother Corey knew the ropes and could be trusted. Didn't know you had a granddaughter. Izzy snorted, and Mother Corey grinned woofishly. You met her, Cobber. The blonde you shook down came up from Earth eight years ago, looking for me. 
I sold her to the head of the East Point gang. Since she killed him, she's been doing pretty well on her own. Mostly, except when she makes a fool of herself like she did with you. But she'll come around to where I'm proud of her yet. And if you two want to carry in the snow, collect, and turn it over to Commissioner Arliss for me, I can't pass the dome till he gets it. I'll give you both rooms for six months free. Except for the lights and water, of course. Izzy nodded, and Gordon shrugged. On Mars, it didn't seem odd to begin applying for a police job by carrying in narcotics. He wondered how they'd go about contacting the commissioner, but that turned out to be simple enough. After collecting, Izzy led the way into a section marked Special Taxes and whispered a few casual words. The man at the desk went into an office marked Private and came back a few minutes later. Your friend has no record with us, he said in a routine voice. I've checked through his tax forms, and they're all in order. We'll confirm officially, of course. In the applications section of the big municipal building, at the center of the dome, there was a long form to fill out at the desk, but the captain there had already had answers typed in. Save time, boys, he said genially, and time's valuable, ain't it? Ah, yes. He took the sums they had ready. There was a standard price, and he stamped their forms. And you'll want suits. Isaacs? Good. Here's your receipt. And you, Corporal Gordon. Right. Get your suits one floor down, end of the hall, and report in eight tomorrow morning. It was as simple as that. Bruce Gordon was lucky enough to get a fair fit in a suit. He'd almost forgotten what it felt like to be in uniform. Izzy was more businesslike. Hope they don't give us too bad territory, Govna, he remarked. Pickings are always a little lean on the first few beats, but you can work some fairly well. Gordon's chest fell. This was Mars. The room at the new Mother Corey's, an unkept old building near the edge of the dome, proved to be livable, though it was a shock to see Mother Corey himself in a decent suit and using perfume. The beat was in a shabby section where clerks and skilled laborers worked. It wasn't poor enough to offer the universal desperation that gave the gang hoodlums protective coloring, nor rich enough to have major rackets of its own. Izzy was disgusted. Cripes. Hope they've got a few cheap pushers around that don't pay protection direct to the captain. You take that store, I'll go in this one. The proprietor was a druggist, who ran his own fountain where synthetics that replaced honest earth foods were compounded into sweet and sticky messes for the neighborhood kids. He'd looked up as Gordon came in. Then his face fell. New cop, eh? No wonder Gable collected yesterday ahead of time. All right, you can look at my books. I've been paying fifty, but you'll have to wait until Friday. Gordon nodded and swung on his heel, surprised to find that his stomach was turning. The man obviously couldn't afford fifty credits a week, but it was the same all along the street, 
Even Izzy admitted finally that they'd have to wait. That damned cop before us, he really tapped them, and we can't take less, so I guess we gotta wait until Friday. The next day, Bruce Gordon made his first arrest. It was near the end of his shift, just as darkness was falling, and the first few lights were going on. He turned a corner and came to a short, heavy hoodlum, backed out of a small liquor store with a knife in a throwing position. The crook grunted as he started to turn and stumbled into Gordon. His knife flashed up. Without the need to worry about an air suit, Gordon moved in, his arm jerking forward. He clipped the crook on the inside of the elbow while grabbing the wrist with his other hand. The man went sailing over Gordon's head to crash into the side of the building. He let out a yell. Gordon rifled the hood's pockets and located a roll of bills stuffed in. He dragged them out before snapping cuffs on the man. Then he pulled the crook inside the store. A woman stood there moaning over a pale man on the floor. Blood oozed from a welt on the back of his head. There were both gratitude and resentment as she looked up at Gordon. You'd better call the hospital, he told her sharply. He may have a concussion. I've got the man who held you up. Hospital, her voice broke into another wail. And who can afford hospitals? All week we work all hours. He's old. He can't handle the cases. I do that. Me. And then you come, and you get your money, and he comes for his protection. Papa is sick. Sick, do you hear? He sees a doctor. He buys medicine. Then Gable comes. This man comes. We can't pay him. So what do we get? We get knives in the faces. Saps on the head. A concussion. You tell me. And all the money? The money we had to pay to get stocks to sell, to pay off from the profits we don't make? All of it he wants. Hospitals. You think they give away at the hospitals free? She fell to her knees, crying over the injured man. Gordon tossed the roll of bills onto the floor beside her. The injury seemed only a scalp wound, and the old man was already beginning to groan. He opened his eyes and saw the bills in front of him, at which the woman was staring unbelievably. His hand darted out, clutching it. God! He moaned softly, and his eyes turned up slowly to Gordon. In there, it was a shout from outside. Gordon had just time to straighten up before the doorway was filled with two knife men and a heavier one behind them. His hands dropped to the handcuffed man on the floor, and he caught him up with a jerk, slapping his body back against the counter. He took a step forward, jerking his hands up and putting his earth-adapted shoulders behind it. The hood sailed up and struck the two knife men squarely. There was a scream as their automatic attempts to save themselves buried both knives in the body of their friend. Then they went crashing down, and Gordon was over them. The desk captain at the precinct house groaned as they came in, then shook his head. Damn it, he said. I suppose it can't be helped. Though you're new, Gordon. Hennessy, get the corpses to the morgue and mark it down as a robbery attempt. 
I'm going to have to book you and your men, Mr. Jurgens. The heavy leader of the two angry knife men grinned. Okay, Captain, but it's going to slow down the work I'm doing on the mayor's campaign for re-election. Damn that, Maxie. I told him to be discreet. Hey, you know what you got, though? A real considerate man. He gave the old guy his money back. They took Bruce Gordon's testimony and sent him home. Jurgens was waiting for him when he came on the beat. From his look of having slept well, he must have been out almost as soon as he was booked. The other two men stood behind Gordon while Jurgens explained that he didn't like being interrupted on business calls about the mayor's campaign or anything else, and that the next time there'd be real hard feelings. Gordon was surprised when he wasn't beaten, but not when the racketeer suggested that any money found at a crime was evidence and should go to the police, and the captain had told him the same. By Friday he had learned. He made his collections early. Gable had sold him the list of what was expected, and he used it. Though he cut down the figures in a few cases, there was no sense in killing the geese that laid the golden eggs. The couple at the liquor store had their payment waiting, and they handed it over, looking embarrassed. It wasn't until he was gone that he found a small bottle of fairly good whiskey tucked into his pouch. He started to throw it away, and then lifted it to his lips. Maybe they'd known how he felt better than he had. Mother Corey's words about his change of attitude came back. Damn it! He had to dig up enough money to get back to Earth. He collected down to the last account. It was a nice haul. At that rate, he'd have to stand it only for a few months. Then Gordon's lips twisted, as he realized it wasn't all gravy. There were angles, or the price of a corporalcy would have been higher. One of the older men answered his questions. Fifty percent of the take of the Orphans and Widows Fund. Better make it more than Gable turned in if you want to get a better beat. The envelopes were lying on a table marked Voluntary Donations. Gordon filled his out with a figure a bit higher than half of Gable's take and dropped it in the box. The captain who had been watching him carefully settled back and smiled. Widows and orphans sure appreciate a good man, he said. I was kind of worried about you, Gordon, but you got a nice touch. One of my new boys. Isaacs, you know him, was out checking up after you, and the dope seemed to like you. Gordon had wondered why Izzy had been pulled off the beat. As he turned to leave, the captain held up a hand. Special meeting tomorrow. We got to see about getting out a good vote. Election only three weeks away. Gordon went home. He'd learned by now that the native Martians, those who'd been here for at least thirty years, or had been born here, were backing a reform candidate and a new ticket. But Mayor Wayne had all of the rest of the town in his hand. He'd been in twice and had lifted the graft take by a truly remarkable figure. From where Gordon stood, it looked like a clear victory for the reformer Nolan. He went into the meeting willing to agree to anything. He applauded all the speeches about how much Mayor Wayne had done for them and signed the pledge expressing his confidence 
along with the implied duty he had to make his beat vote right. Then he stopped as the captain stood up. We gotta be neutral, boys, he boomed. But it don't mean we can't show how well we like the mayor. Just remember, he got us our jobs. Now I figure we can all kick in a little to help his campaign. I'm going to start it off with 5,000 credits. 2,000 of them right now. They fell in line, though there was no cheering. The price might have been fixed in advance. A thousand for a plain cop, fifteen hundred for a corporal, and so on, each contributing a third of it now. Gordon grimaced. He had six hundred left. This would take nearly all of it. A man named Fell shook his head fearfully. Can't do a thing now. My wife had a baby in an operation and... Okay, Fell, the captain said without a sign of disapproval. Freetag, what about you? Fine, fine. Gordon's name came, and he shook his head. I'm new, and I'm strapped now. I'd like. Quite all right, Gordon, the captain boomed. Harwick? He finished the roll and settled back smiling. I guess that's all, boys. Thanks from the mayor, and go on home. Oh, Fell. Gordon, Lativsky, stick around. I've got some overtime for you. Since you need extra money, the boys out in Ward 3 are short-handed. Afraid I'll have to order you out there. Ward 3 was the hangout of a cheap gang of hoodlums, numbering some 400, who went in for small crimes mostly. But they had recently declared war on the cops. After eight hours of overtime... Gordon reported in with every bone sore from small missiles and a suit filthy from assorted muck. He had a beautiful shiner where a stone had clipped him. The captain smiled. Rough, eh? But I hear robbery went down on your beat last night. Fine work, Gordon. We need men like you. Hate to do it, but I'm afraid you'll have to take the next shift at Main and Broad, directing traffic. The usual man is sick and you're the only one I can trust with the job. Gordon stuck it out somehow, but it wasn't worth it. He reported back to the precinct with the 500 in his hand, and his pen itching for the donation agreement. The captain took it and nodded. I wasn't kidding about your being a good man, Gordon. Go home and get some sleep. Take the next day off. After that, I've got a new job for you. End of chapter 3